everyone. Welcome to the Sasha Stone podcast. Today I'm going to talk about how to get canceled and survive it, how to push back against cancel culture and why you must. I'm going to talk about witch hunts and the pendulum. And giving thanks, all the things that I'm grateful for and that I'd like to share with you. Plus, I think I'll give you some book recommendations for anybody who's kind of feeling the same way I am lately about a lot of things. And I will recommend a few podcasts to listen to over the Thanksgiving weekend, if you are so inclined. Okay, so first, I'd like to talk a little bit about cancel culture and why you have to stand up against it. And in a minute, I'm going to talk about the, uh, you know, the, the witch hunts and why they continue to repeat throughout our history. It's actually kind of an interesting theory about that from this book called Pendulum, which I stumbled upon, that I'd like to share with you. But before I do that, I'd just like to t- give you an example of what I mean by cancel culture, w- what I think drives it, and what we can do about it or if we should do anything about it. I want to start by saying that, you know, cancel culture is really not um, something that can be stopped. It's something that has to be worked through. And what it really is, is it's power to the powerless. It's power to people who, before there was Twitter or social media to call people out and humiliate them publicly, Um, A lot of groups didn't have any sort of voice or microphone or platform to do that. So, you know, they really just had to suffer in silence. And honestly, that's one of the best things about social media, to me anyway, like black Twitter, I think is just, you know, one of the coolest things that there is a way for black voices to mobilize and make change and call out things that they believe are oppressive or wrong. Like, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But cancel culture has become something different. Like, with most things that originate in the black community, it's been appropriated by the white community as a way to find their sort of identity and to maybe hold on to someone else's identity in order to feel valid and important. And that's one of the strangest and scariest things about living through right now is how people feel the need to have something wrong with them in order to feel like they're an okay and valid voice. And that is driving a lot of really um, strange kind of, I think, episodes of hysteria in young people because they can't just, you know, meet the community as a straight white male, for instance, or as just a cisgendered female who's white, that isn't going to cut it. Like, that doesn't give you clout. That just makes you irrelevant and unimportant, and there's no power in it online. There is only power in being a marginalized group and speaking out against it. I'm not really sure why. I, I mean, I think I've tried to explain it in my last first episode about um, the 
you know, the rise of virtue signaling and the value of being good in a, in a utopian society in the wake of the Barack Obama presidency, which is where I think we've all been kind of headed on the left. We have this idea, we are good people. But lately, as that has sort of devolved into crazy town, it has been less about whether or not we are good, but, but how much we can identify with and or defend and or accuse other people of being oppressive against marginalized groups. It's kind of hard to explain. It's something that you know if you live online or if you spend a lot of time on Twitter or Facebook or Tumblr. You just know that this, this exists. But let me give you an example, a very clear-cut example. I think the trans community has adopted the methods of the gay community um, in the 70s, meaning that most activist groups look at the gay community and they say, it's amazing how much change they made. And being, being a culture that had to hide and stay in the closet to being able to come out, being able to marry and have children. Even actors can be openly gay and still work, which is something they couldn't do in the 80s when I was growing up. But it seems like the trans community has gotten themselves into a situation where any sort of difference of opinion is considered transphobia and hate speech. And they've managed to pressure uh, a lot of people into accepting this as reality where the public hasn't caught up with yet and or, you know, science hasn't really caught up with it yet and or, you know, some people are just flat out uncomfortable with it. The news won't touch it. People are scared of bringing it up. I'm talking about gender um, and trans issues. It's just this idea of like, we say this is what you have to believe and you have to believe it. And if you don't, you will be severely punished. So that's very much a part of what cancel culture has devolved into. Um, sort of a reign of terror, meaning we're going to police everybody all of the time for everything that they say and do. And if they don't meet our strict and strident and ever-growing list of requirements, they will be dragged down into the public square and humiliated. At best, that's what will happen to them. At worst, they'll lose their job. So, that you know, it, it's not harmless at this point. It's become dangerous. You know, and, and the thing is, is we're not talking about um, being in 1930s Germany and not being able to speak out against the Nazis where you'd get shot, you know, um, or put in a concentration camp. Like, we don't live in a fascist society. You know, you are able to voice your opinion and have your opinion. It's just a matter of how much you can take, how much you can take of the blowback and the accusations against you. And I'm going to argue that you can actually take it a lot more than you think. So John Cleese was on Twitter, and he got into kind of trouble, quote-unquote, for tweeting out that after someone asked him about J.K. Rowling, what he, what he thinks about J.K. Rowling. And he answered something like, you know, I don't really have an opinion on the trans community. I hope that they're happy, and I hope they're being treated well, but I'm much more concerned about A, B, C, and D, right? In other words, to him, trans issues weren't a life-or-death situation. Well, so that's just an invitation for people to say, to you know, to drag him out as, as an example 
of transphobia and say, you know, when trans people are being killed and murdered and treated so badly and, you know, near suicide and cutting themselves, you know, how can you not care? So, you know, what the problem with cancel culture is, is it presumes guilt right up front. It presumes you're a racist and it presumes you're transphobic. And there are people in the comments of this John Cleese tweet, John Cleese of all people, his tweet that, you know, declare him as transphobic. And, you know, once you're labeled with that, as we see with J.K. Rowling, you're never able to undo it. It's like being called a witch, right? You only have two options, which is fall on your sword and apologize or resist it and be thought of as a transphobe, which means that in her case, an award was taken away from her. She's so sort of scandalous and verboten, the people in the Harper's letter that that appeared with her as a signatory um, dropped their names because they, they considered her transphobic. So this is a world where what people think and what they say is, is, is equivalent to violence. It's equivalent to hatred um, in a lot of people's minds. And that's what they use to justify calling someone out and humiliating them um, and or you know, getting them fired or ruining their business. To them, it's justified because what they do is they pick an example of a victim in their mind and they see that victim and that victimization justifies anything that they might do or say because it fuels the hatred, right, of dehumanization. So if, you know, they want to yell at John Cleese, all they have to do is think of, you know, somebody who was murdered, you know, a trans woman who was murdered recently and how much they believe that John Cleese is responsible for that. Now, they're going after John Cleese is going to do nothing for the trans community. Nothing. Zero. Zip. If anything, it's going to build resentment against the causes of the trans community. Because it just seems punitive, it seems petty, and it seems self-serving. So you had JVN of Queer Eye calling out John Cleese in a big public way and scolding him. And I don't know what John Cleese did. Like, I dropped the thread. I haven't followed it. I don't know if he apologized. I hope he didn't. Because the worst thing you can do is apologize. You must never apologize. Unless you believe that you did something wrong. But you shouldn't apologize for something you don't believe you did was wrong. They can't... People can't school you and direct you and order you to think and say what they want you to say and what they want you to think. They don't have that right. Nobody does, actually. It's up to you. So what you're faced with is being really strong, having a steely iron spine, and standing there and saying, I know who I am, I know what I think, I know what I feel, and you can't tell me, you can't make me feel guilty by accusing me of something that I'm not guilty of. It's really hard to do because, you know, we're just, we just haven't evolved to deal with it. We've evolved to do exactly the opposite. We've evolved to be part of the tribe, to fold in, to group think, to get along, you know, because our survival does depend on it. And, you know, tribal America, it did. You know, anybody who is going to stand up against the, the tribe is going to get thrown out, probably won't get a mate, won't be able to have offspring and therefore their genes will not survive. It's pretty logical, right? 
But the thing is, is this is all going to come to an end pretty soon. Um, I, by my, by the, but the calculations of the book Pendulum, anyway, we've got a ways to go, unfortunately. Um, and it won't be until 2043. That's a long time from now that it'll all be over with and we'll be on to a new thing. That's a really long time. I was hoping it would be much shorter. Between the years of 2023 and 2043 is when culture as a whole will shift away from this nuttiness, this craziness. But, but if history is any indication, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But when things finally do calm down and people sift through the ashes, they're going to be looking at you and they're going to be asking the question, what did you do? What did you do in the face of this? Did you stand up to it? Did you go along with it? Or did you stay silent? And that's how it always goes with all of these episodes in history, whether it's the Red Scare or the Salem Witch Hunts or you know Hitler and the Nazis. History will not be kind to those who didn't take a stand against it when they knew it was wrong. So you have to just grim up and you have to accept it. And here's how you can do that. A couple of suggestions. One, if you're on Twitter and you're a prominent person like I am and you're out there poking the beast every day and you're saying things you know are controversial, don't look at your mentions. Just don't look at them. If somebody has something important to say, they can DM you. I wish that I could look at my mentions, but I can't afford to get locked into some awful argument with somebody because it does actual damage to your brain. It hurts your mental health to have people attack you with casual cruelty. It just does. And your instinct is to fight back. And then you're locked into this Twitter battle. You know, or you, you do the awful celebrity thing of you, you fall on your sword and you apologize. Which was like confessing to being a witch or confessing to being a communist and naming names in during the Red Scare. In Salem, if you confessed, you would be spared. And you'd just have to live as a witch until everybody got a clue and realized everybody had lost their minds. But when that was over, people looked at you and said, wow, so you lied to save your life. And the people who were honest, the ones who say, no, I'm a good Christian, I'm not a witch, they were hanged and punished for it. So it's the same as right now. If you say, I'm not a racist, I'm not transphobic, Stop saying that I am, you know, and I don't really care what you think anyway. Uh, you're telling the truth. And if you say, oh, my, I made a huge mistake. I'm so sorry. I will do better. I will work hard to do better. I will earn back your trust. Yes, I, I have made mistakes, and I am so sorry. I didn't realize I was hurting people. You get a Hail Mary pass. Until the next time. I always think about poor Lena Dunham. Like, to me, that is just the worst situation because, you know, obviously celebrities depend on their cred. They depend on their image or they can't work. But what about if your image is already destroyed, if people already hate you like they do her? So I can't think of any celebrity who's more hated than Lena Dunham across the board left to right. The only people who like her are like the white feminists that everybody on the left hates. So, but, you know, when the Black Lives Matter thing came up, she, or, you know, not Black Lives Matter, actually, is um, cancel culture, when that became a, a topic somehow that people had to take sides on. 
maybe Trump brought it up or something, I don't know, I can't remember, but Lena Dunham put out a thing where she was supportive of it, even though she'd totally been canceled, like repeatedly for things she said and did. And she was giving this thing about how much it matters to her and how grateful she is for it and, and how supportive she is. And I was thinking, you know, honey, that is not gonna help you. You're gonna suck up to these people, but they're not gonna forgive you. They don't even like you or trust you. So why are you doing this to yourself, you know? But they don't really have a choice, you know? Melissa McCarthy doesn't have a choice. If someone ferrets out one of her charities and discovers that one of the guys running it is homophobic and doesn't support gay marriage, um, and she gets called out for it, she has to drop the charity and she has to apologize. It's just as simple as that because they're everywhere and they're looking under every single corner to find wrongdoing. That's their daily job. And the saddest part about it is to me is that it only works on people who care about what you think of them. Like, it doesn't work on James Woods on Twitter. It doesn't work on Donald Trump Jr. You know, it doesn't work on Kaylee McEnany. It only works on good liberals, good liberals who want to work, who want to be thought of as good people. You know, these awful poor men who have to become male feminists, you know, they have to because <laughs> otherwise they'll be called the worst of the worst. And so they have to totally subjugate themselves um, to the cause of cancel culture um, because otherwise, then what are they? They're on the other side. They're, they're part of the evil people. But I, I just think that you can try to stand up against it a little bit. And if you can't, don't join in on it. Don't be one of those people that joins in. Don't do it out of fear. I mean, unless you're genuinely on board with it, and then fine, go for it. It's not changing anything. It's giving you a little bit of uh, relief in a day where you think you're in control and you're changing the world. You're not changing the world. All you're doing is building hatred and resentment towards marginalized groups, which will then backfire on those same marginalized groups. At the end of the day, this country is still 60% white and around 13 to 15 13 to 16% black, that's a huge difference in terms of population. And if you're expecting the majority to suddenly, you know, switch their interests and everything to, to uh, satisfy the, the small portion of, of minority groups all of the time for everything, for every song, every movie, every book, then it's just an exercise in frustration for you because the people who are white are, aren't necessarily always going to only be looking for things that they feel satisfy this standard that lets them off the hook, that proves they're not racist. So I, I don't know that this is the right path for the left right now. In fact, actually I do know, and I know it's not the right path, 100% not. I can tell you that if the Democrats um, somehow managed to win the two senators in Georgia by some miracle, and then they have all three branches of government, and um, Kamala Harris is the deciding vote on some of the things that the Senate wants to enact, you, you have no idea what kind of strength that's going to build on the right. 
so that in 2022 and 2024, the Democrats will be obliterated from government. Because the majority in America, even if they didn't like Donald Trump, they do not like what's happening on the left. And a lot of that is around this stuff, what I'm talking about. This reign of terror, this tyranny, this bizarre accusations, you know, and um, policing of people's speech and what they want to watch and what they wear and what they've ever done in their lives, going all the way back to kindergarten, you know. Who they marry, who they adopt, what they eat. Um, even if it gives people on Twitter a certain amount of uh, power for the moment, that's only because people care about what they think. The minute that they stop caring, it all goes away. So I would just say choose wisely. Why is John Cleese your target for the day? Why is calling him out for not saying anything that bad about the trans community? Why is that your, the way that you're going to spend your energy and, and show your... Po that story made it all the way to NBC News. They covered it. And they covered it because they're idiots. They covered it in a way that just told it as a straight news story instead of how they should have told it, which was cancel culture goes after John Cleese. But see, it only really is cancel culture if something happens to John Cleese, like they start boycotting his um, shows and they ask to have his shows removed. That's probably coming next, but for now, I haven't seen that yet. But really what needs to happen is the higher institutions need to start to grow a pair and stand up to it because that's really where the problem is. It's not so much people having a fit on Twitter in a day. It's more like universities firing people, newspapers firing people, um, you know, elementary, public elementary schools teaching critical race theory and teaching students to be ashamed of their whiteness, young kids to be ashamed of being white, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Donald Trump, one of the reasons he was popular is because he stood up against it. You know, people wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't admit that they supported him, but you could see by the way that they voted that that's what they felt. And, you know, he banned critical race theory. And so he's the only person that has that kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it, but courage or, you know, he doesn't care about what people think. Whatever it is, he's he's a guy that can do that, whereas there's not a single other politician who, who does or can. That's why people like Donald Trump. I heard a politician describe him as chemotherapy for cancer. Like, it's a kind of medicine that makes you sort of sick, but it does the job. It kills the cancer. That's what people think about the left, that it's a cancer, right? So is that really what we want people to think about us? I don't think that's really the right way to go. But the first step, in my opinion, is on your journey through life. When this stuff comes across your desk, cancel culture stuff, you, you know, to just take a sober look at it. Are they just getting mad because John Cleese made a tweet that made them mad? Or is there some direct action that has been done that hurt somebody that this person is guilty of, right? Like Harvey Weinstein, right? Something like that. If you really think about it um, and be logical about what you're actually doing, you'll see that a lot of this is just fear and hysteria from nothing. Okay, 
So now we're on to Pendulum. So um, Pendulum is a book by Michael J. Drew and Roy H. Williams, and they have been sort of developing this theory, which I think is really fascinating, albeit a little bit depressing. But I, I have, you know, in my life as an Oscar blogger, I've always looked at patterns of history, you know, and I've, I've looked and looked and looked and looked because I've been doing it over 20 years. And so I look at every year, I look at decades, I look at shifts in public attitudes Now, their book is meant for advertisers who are looking to make money on a generation. They don't want to be the ad um, company that that is left behind and isn't addressing the the people of the moment to sell things to them. That's really what their book is more or less about, how to track generations so that you know how to shape your message. But I think it's helpful for me in terms of politics and the Oscars and entertainment and looking at the future. Because, you know, my my sci-fi novel, which I don't know if I'll ever finish it, um, it takes place in 2100. So it's important for me to sort of understand where we are and where we're going. And, you know, it's, it makes me sad to think that, like, I won't live very long to see this all play out. I mean, I'm probably going to die when the cycle that we're in right now finally comes to an end. I'll probably be close to dying or dead. And, and if you remember to remind me before I die about this, let me give me the chance to think about it and say, yeah, you know what? That book was right. They were right. Look at what happened. Um, And, you know, when you think about time in chunks, it can be really depressing. You think I'm this amount, I'm this age, and I only have 15 more years before this and 10 more years before that, and and then I'm going to die. Like, it's just horrifying, right? It's like the stuff of night terrors and alcoholism and (laughs) drug abuse, like... That is the kind of thing that, like, is unbearable to really deal with and confront, isn't it? I mean, if you're not a religious person, and honestly, I'm going to try to get religion somehow because I think I'm going to need it. Um, all right, so the book Pendulum, they talk about 80-year shifts in history, believe it or not, and they're divided into two groups of 40 years and the way they figure it out is that, um, gen- that they're really just looking at kind of Western society for this book, but probably it could be applied across the board. But in, for their purposes, they're mainly focusing on Western countries. So basically they divide it into two different sections. One is the me cycle and the other is the we cycle. And in the me cycle, it's all about individuality. It's about heroes. It's about big dreams um, and sort of pioneering efforts and exceptionalism of the individual. And then in the we cycle, it's the opposite of that. It's more about the collectivism. It's about we as a community. And then 20 years of that, and it kicks into... This is our utopia. This is our utopia that we built. It's so great, all of us as a collective community, we're gonna make it better. But wait a second, what about these people over here, these people that are going against our utopia, fighting against it, resisting it? They're not part of it. Wait, so who isn't part of it? That person doesn't believe, and that person doesn't believe, and that person doesn't believe, and how can we purge evil from our ranks? And that's when it kicks into the witch hunt. 
which I think in looking over this whole thing is, is the scariest time in our history is when we start to turn on each other like that. And that's what we're living through right now. I find it highly bizarre that we're living through one of these right now, and I don't know what's gonna happen to it, but basically according to these guys from 2003 to 2023 is the upswing to the zenith of we, where the witch hunts start. And then we've got from 2023 to 2043, the downsizing of the we cycle that will kick into the next me cycle. So I think we're, we're potentially living through some really scary, really dark times, which explains a lot, right? Doesn't it? I think their book is interesting. I just have to say that, um, that it's a mess. Like it's put together in a really weird way. And, and almost everything that I find by Michael Drew is kind of chaotic in the way that it's put together. Like the audiobook is almost impossible to listen to. The videos of him, you can find some um, on YouTube, which I highly re recommend, but like the sound is bad on all of them. <laughs> like, how is that possible? And the book itself is sort of hard to get through. I've sent the PDF to certain people and I know that there's no way they read it because it's just a, a, a hot mess, but it doesn't matter because the idea of it is so good that it, I think it's worth pursuing in terms of the way that I see things, um, because I do like to look at life in terms of, and history in terms of patterns that develop and change and shift. So if 2003 to 2023 was the upswing to Zenith of we, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if you think of the year 2003, you think of that as sort of the post 9-11 America under Bush, where all of that stuff that I talked about last time with us making a, better society and trying to be better people and better, you know, we were really going after George Bush like he was literally the devil himself way before Trump, like Bush was the worst thing because the um, 2000 election sort of kicked everything into chaos and we treated him like an illegitimate president. So, and then Obama rose to power in 2008 He's the quintessential leader for the we era because he's he was so much about everybody gets a shot, you know, gay marriage is the law of the land, the Affordable Care Act, you know, this guy, and, and the culture was demanding it. The Occupy Wall Street um, movement and the Tea Party movement, like all of these were all about, you know, we, and they were all happening right then. So that's why it's interesting that you go from 2003 to 2023, which is in a few years from now, to the zenith of this era. So I don't know exactly what that means, but what this guy said, Michael Drew on a video, is he said that he thought Trump was right for this time because he was a better witch hunt president. Now, Biden won. He won because of COVID and because of mail-in ballots, but without those, Trump would have won, I think. And Trump is maybe going to run in 2024, right? A year after the zenith of 2023. So if Trump runs again, or even if he decides to try to run again, what in the world is that going to do to this country? Like how disruptive is it going to get? And what about like some of the stuff happening in other countries right now, like Hungary or France or the UK with Brexit? and, you know, the climate change and migrants coming to find better places to live, you know, and countries shutting off their borders to them and 
where is this all gonna go? Like, it's sort of a terrifying thing to think about, right? But anyway, I'm, I'm sort of happy to see that, um, that these things repeat. And that, that's what gives me the confidence that, you know, this, what's happening in our culture with cancel culture and stuff like that is not that different from what happened in 1943 in terms of, you know, the sort of fear and hysteria that was going around these different cultures, and of course in Salem as well. Um, big change was afoot, and there had to be bad people and good people and it sort of like feels like a time for, for war. Uh, I don't really know what side I am on at the moment because I, I'm not on the side of, of cancel culture. I'm not on the side of persecution. I'm not on the side of accusing people of being things that they aren't. So I don't know where that, that leaves me, you know, in terms of this, if, if we're ever going to fight a war. But I would not be surprised, put it this way, if in the next 20 years we do see a second war of some sort, either a world war or a civil war, just given what the history tells us. Because nothing was settled with the Biden presidency. Nothing. We have a, a country more, you know, as sharply divided as it was during the civil war. But to that end, that's why I want to tell you that history is going to be sifting through the ashes. And well, People my age, it's not even going to matter that much, probably. I mean, maybe some PBS reporter, if they aren't as biased as they are now, like sticks a microphone in your face and asks you how you dealt with this period of time. Um, you want to have a clean conscience. So I, I would just suggest thinking about it a little bit and, and asking yourself, who is being served? And is this balancing out the power the way people say it is and and um are we really going to live our lives like this are young people really going to grow up in a world where they have to self-censor themselves and where they're shamed for everything that they read and everything that they write um especially if they're white people i, I think that we all hoped it would have died down with biden but i don't think it is actually i think it's it's about to get a lot worse So that's that. And now I want to say uh, I would recommend some books to you that you might want to read. And one of them is called The Coddling of the American Mind. And that's a really good book to tell you exactly why and how we ended up where we are now. It's actually written by Democrats. So you don't have to worry. It's not a pro-Trump book. Um, but it is very good uh, source of information for what's happening right now. You know, it was actually what was happening before Trump. So, you know, Trump has kicked the whole thing into a whole different realm because he's become a leader of a movement um, reluctantly because that wasn't his goal when he took office. He wasn't coming in power to stop the kind of rising insanity on the left. That wasn't his job. His job was to, quote unquote, drain the swamp and to maybe make America more... Um, nationalist and nativist and less dependent on other countries and close our borders, you know, that was Trump's job. But he became an unlikely leader of the anti-cancel culture movement. So he's going to continue to be that in that role. And any person who decides to run for president in 2024 is going to have to also be towing that line. 
because the way forward is not going to be appeasement to the left. It's going to be a battle with them. Highly recommend Dave Rubin's Don't Burn This Book. I love Dave Rubin. You know, he is a Trump supporter um, as such, meaning that he, like a lot of people, um, supported Trump because, again, like Trump is the only person who's willing to stand up to the left. And so he ends up gaining a lot of supporters that way, people who wouldn't ordinarily support him. And frankly, a lot of the people who were against cancel culture but supporting Joe Biden, which was a lot of people, um, they, they're probably going to be left behind moving forward because I think the idea is if you're going to accept someone who's going to destroy cancel culture, you have to accept someone like Donald Trump who will say anything, do anything shamelessly. Shame turns out to be um, a point of weakness and a way to be controlled in this kind of climate. If you feel shame, if someone calls you a racist, then they can control you. You know, you're even in a point now where if you say I'm not racist, it's a sign of being racist. Like, that's where we are. But I just have to hold on to who, who I know that I am and what, I, what I, I know that I believe. And as many times as I've been attacked on Twitter all the time, I don't even look at my mentions anymore because I know that people are angry at me. Um, I don't know what else to do. Like, I, I really am not the kind of person that can go along with things I think are wrong. I have to speak out about them. I've always been that way for better or worse. And I have to just maintain my own sense of morality and my own moral compass. And I suggest that you do that same thing, but I just wanted to warn you about what's, what's coming. I mean, ideally you pick a side, but I, I'm, I'm not really picking a side at the moment. I'm picking the side of, I'm trying to figure out what's right and wrong. But if you're telling me that I have to go along with censoring art and policing speech, I'm not going to go along with that. Just not going to do it. So I have to find another, another way. Anyway, there are a lot of books. I, I listen to Dave Rubin's podcast. I listen to Megan Kelly's podcast. I'm trying to find some somebody on the left that I can still listen to that I trust. But, you know, Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hying, have a Dark Horse podcast, which is only on YouTube. I think he might have it on iTunes by now, but they're progressives on the left. But they're against the craziness that we're seeing right now. I like them. I like, uh, I really like um, Brett Weinstein's brother, Eric Weinstein. He's a very open-minded person. I read Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi's Substack because they will, I know, will give it to me straight. They're fearless in their dissent. And I'm sure both of them have been attacked. I mean, a lot of the people I'm talking about have just simply been canceled and obliterated from the community. And they've had to find their own way to communicate with their readers. So that's the world that I live in now. I live in the world of the people who've already been canceled and who are now cancel-proof. And I'm just grateful that the world exists. I know it's a matter of income for a lot of people and that you have to, like, kiss the ring in order to work and in order to make money. I know that, and I know a lot of people don't want to be hated. So I, you know, I advise with caution on how you want to uh, make your name 
out there. But for me, since I am semi-prominent, um, I, I might be on a path of destruction. Who knows? But I feel like I'm, I'm old enough now where I've really got not got that much to lose. You know, anybody who's going to turn on me and think I'm a racist or whatever it is, as they, some of them have, um, then they, they weren't really my friends to begin with. And they, they didn't know me enough to say, like, I value her as a human being and I know who she is in her heart. So I, I recommend those. Um, I also listen to the Fifth Column podcast, which is on the left. You can also listen to um, Blocked and Reported with Jesse Single and Katie Herzog. It's really good. That's on the left. Um, I don't really listen to pro-Democratic Party stuff much anymore. Like I don't listen to Pod Save America or anything like that. Um, I get enough of it on Twitter. I already know what people like that think, which is fine. Uh, no judgment. But, um, but my brain is just hungrier for a little more truth at this moment. Anyway, it's Thanksgiving, and I'm really grateful that I have my health, my life so far, that I have an audience, that I'm able to record these podcasts in this little studio that I made in my daughter's old room, which I'm sort of proud about. Some days I wake up really, really happy. Other days I don't. Other days I have night terrors, which has been, they've been plaguing me my entire life. Night terrors, so like at two and three in the morning, I wake up in a panic about something. Sometimes I will delete all my tweets out of fear. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, mortality. Sometimes it's Emma and whether or not she's safe. Uh, a lot of things wake me up in the middle of the night. So lately I've been using these sleep these eye masks for sleep, and that's helped a little bit. I still wake up, but not as much, so that's good. Um, my friend Michael is going to come over for Thanksgiving and have dinner with me. Otherwise, I was going to be having it alone because my family isn't having a Thanksgiving this year, and Emma's going to her boyfriend's, so I'll be doing that. But um, but I just want to say that like uh, we we do have a choice of trying to get to know each other and we do have a choice of opening our hearts and welcoming other people um, into our lives whether or not we agree with everything that they think or not I mean you have to learn how to be tolerant it's sort of the the number one thing you have to be in life but I, I just think that when you're looking at other people you have to you have to empathize with them and, and the way you do that is by standing in their shoes and looking at life through their eyes and that's the only way forward in terms of getting rid of hatred, I think. Have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. I got nothing but love in my heart for you. And um, I will talk to you later. I think the next thing that happens is I'm going to be posting an episode of The Drop. So you can expect a surprise when you see that come through. If anybody is actually subscribed or is listening to this thing, if you are, please consider giving me a review or a rating so that I know you're out there. Um, but not a bad one. You know, don't do that to me. Because then I'll have to delete the whole thing and restart it. Uh, this podcast was written, quote-unquote, edited, quote-unquote, and recorded, quote-unquote, by Sasha Stone. You can find more on SashaStone.com, which is where I will be housing this podcast. Stay safe.